everyone, welcome to episode 39 of Text Throughout History. Without further ado, let's dive right on in. In the Far East, new tension has cropped up. bring to you though at this early stage we believe that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center in New York. Tragedy. According to the dictionary a tragedy can be defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction and distress such as a serious accident, crime or natural catastrophe. You don't have to be alive for very long to realize that at one point or another each and every person to ever live experiences some sort of tragedy in their lives. This varies, of course, uh, from era to era and from person to person. Take, for instance, Gaius Plinius Cecilius Secundus, more commonly known as Pliny the Younger. Our friend Plinius was the nephew of Gaius Plinius Secundus the Elder, who unfortunately died from being a little bit too close to Mount Vesuvius when it erupted. Why am I telling you this? Well, I'm glad you asked. As well as being a wealthy lawyer and governor during Rome's heyday, uh, Pliny is best known for his incredibly accurate and detailed letters describing the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. These were written about mm, 2,000 years ago in roughly 105 AD, which was about 25 years after the eruption occurred. They paint a really, really vivid image of this terrible tragedy that occurred really just only after Jesus finished roaming the earth, describing the darkness as if the lamps had just been extinguished in a completely closed room. People of all ages shrieking and praying for death. Most striking, though, is his own personal account of, and again I quote, being only kept going by the consolation that the whole world was perishing with me. Other than the Bible, Pliny's letters are one of the oldest and most accurate depictions of a historical event that is still uh, readily available to readers today. They serve as a prime example of one of the many ways that literature can be utilised, which is as a time portal between eras, connecting people, ideas, experiences making our massive, seemingly incomprehensible at times world just that little bit smaller. While it may seem impossible for a young person living today to fully grasp and comprehend the struggles of, say, a World War I soldier, there is an incredibly powerful connection to be made between eras and between tragedies through examining texts from times that have passed and relating them to our own modern struggles. There's an April 2019 BBC article that's written by Seth Baum, who's the executive director of the Global Catastrophic Risk Institute. Uh, in it, he ruminates on the effect that a double catastrophe, which is two simultaneous catastrophes um, onto the same civilization, the effect that this would have if it were to happen sometime in the near future. Some of the human-caused catastrophic risks Mr. Baum lists include nuclear weapons, global warming, ecological disruptions, pandemics from pathogens, runaway artificial intelligence, and various other threats. In another section of this same article, he writes, What the intersection of famine and destruction following a nuclear war tells us is that catastrophes are often interconnected. The consequences and vulnerability a single catastrophe creates can linger for many years after the event. A nuclear war isn't just a nuclear war. It is also an economic recession and an agricultural failure. Now, I do understand that these uh, particular examples sound quite far-fetched and unrealistic to those of us who are fortunate enough to be living in Australia in 2020. However, if we focus on the principle of what Mr. Baum is saying, rather than the time-specific examples, you could still take this assertion, place it in almost any time period throughout history, and it would still make sense. 
The reason for this is because the harsh reality is that tragedy and adversity are both unavoidable parts of the experience that is human life. What I want to explore with you today is a look at the challenges that the world was facing during the era of the First World War, which was a really, really fascinating time in history um, when many great thinkers and writers such as Wilfred Owen and C.S. Lewis were alive. Through reflecting on the tragedies of the day that they saw around them, the way they responded to these through their writings and comparing this to the challenges facing us as a society today, my hope is that you'll gain a bit of a deeper understanding of the human experience and realise just how worlds that you know, a lifetimes apart, can be more closely related than what it may first seem on the surface. Karl Marx, who was the father of modern-day socialism, once famously said, History repeats itself, first as tragedy, second as farce. Now, for those of you who don't know, farce is it's a genre of um, comedic drama that creates or tries to recreate situations through really ludicrous and excessive and exaggerated um, characters and storylines. Now, while a lot of the things, while what we're going to be discussing in the podcast today could hardly you know, pass as fast, this saying rings true just as much now as it ever has. History repeats itself. Perhaps Communist Carl should have said this instead. History repeats itself, first as tragedy, then as words on a page, then tragedy again. The only way that we can really begin to fully understand the different ways that humans uh, manipulate and use literature to deal with tragedy and loss, whether that be of a personal or a global kind, is to look at texts that come from different time spans and different situations. What better place to start than one of the most devastating tragedies the world has ever witnessed, World War One. Now you're probably listening to this podcast, you know, maybe you're in your car, on a run, just sitting on your phone, wherever you might be. I just want you to... S- Just try and stop with me for a second and try and take yourself out of the current context that you're in and cast your mind back, hypothetically, to 1915. You're a young British man, quite handsome. World War I has just begun and you've been called to action. You're not really concerned by this, though, because you've been led to believe by your government and your fellow countrymen that war is more of an adventure than a risk. Free travel is what many of your mates are calling it. It's an experience, a journey, a chance to prove yourself as a real man, as honourable, brave... Noble. You finally get to the trenches, somehow still in one piece, and suddenly, a bomb drops. Literally. A bomb falls from the sky not too far from where you're standing, and you have to drop to the ground and cover your head to protect your ears and skull from the freakishly loud noises and shrapnel that's flying everywhere around you. At the same time though, inside your head there's another bomb dropping as you are suddenly faced with the harsh truth that everything you were ever told about war and all its so-called glory is nothing but lies. Now, Owen and I have never met. In a way, this is sort of disappointing, as I'm sure it would have been fascinating to sit down with him, have a cup of coffee, and learn about his experiences in the trenches and as a soldier face-to-face. On the other hand, though, I'm actually quite glad that our paths have never crossed because that means either I would have had to try and not get my head blown off in the trenches, or he would have had to try and get his head not bitten off by a Karen or an anti-masker. I'm not really sure which one would be worse, to be completely honest. Now, I remember this one this one particular time when I was really little, maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe four or five. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was that I did, but whatever it was, it must have been pretty bad for a four-and-a-half-year-old because my dad sent me to the laundry room. Now, this was the worst Pretty much the laundry room was our family's equivalent of the naughty corner, right? 
and I'd have to sit there, you know, completely by myself without anything at all to keep me entertained for what for like years and years and years. In reality, it was probably only about maybe 15 or 20 minutes that I was there for, but it felt like an eternity sitting there in that cold tiled floor, isolated from everybody else while they were all eating dessert or watching TV or whatever they were doing. In those moments, in my little well, four and a half year old brain, my parents became my absolute worst enemies. The world felt like it turned its back on me and the sun almost stopped shining. I know I'm being dramatic here, but you know I'm sure you all can kind of understand where I'm coming from. The reality is that we've all been there. We've all been in a situation where uh, either somebody does do something wrong by us or we feel like we've been you know, wronged or you know, been treated unjustly or unfairly. And it's, it's really, really easy in moments like that to throw ourselves a little bit of a pity party. In those moments of you know, emotional intensity when we're not really thinking clearly, we can feel like our struggles are the only thing that's occurring in the world. And it can be really, really, um, really, really easy and quick to slide into a feeling of just being overwhelmed and, you know, alone in everything. Now, obviously most people, uh, well, you like to think that most people um, learn to control or subdue these emotions as they get older and develop into adults. All it takes, though, is just one look at the news anytime, but particularly through um, this whole coronavirus mess to realize that that's not always the case at all. People are selfish, people throw tantrums, and so many people seem to you know, seem to think and act like they're the only ones in the world. In amongst all that, however, there are people who really are you know, genuinely suffering. People losing their jobs, people losing loved ones, people have to take on more responsibilities and expectations as those around them, their family and friends, you know, are falling sick. I've I, for one, personally have been extremely fortunate throughout this whole thing, but for so many, you know, in my country and around the world, lots of them haven't been so lucky, and life can feel genuinely isolating. It's particularly in times like these, you know, when life is crumbling apart, both on a personal and a global level for so many people, that text, like uh, Wilfred Owen's Dolce et Decorum Est, regain a new, a new sort of meaning and a new impact on us. Because this meaning is so, it's so easy to forget um, and take for granted in times of prosperity and peace and security and abundance. Now, although it's subject matter being Owen's own personal account of the bloody trenches that he saw during World War One is quite foreign to most people living today, uh, there are still many parallels that can be drawn between his situation some what some hundred years ago back in 1917 and our situation now. Let's begin by looking at a few lines from the poem. Bent double, like old beggars under sacks. Not need, coughing like hags, we cursed through sludge. Till on the haunting flares we turned our backs and towards our distant rest began to trudge. Men marched to sleep. Many had lost their... While Owen and the men around him were coughing due to, you know, mud, tear gas and just sheer exhaustion from fighting in a world war, Many people today are coughing from coronavirus, turning their backs on the life they once knew as they try and battle on meaninglessly towards distant rest. I should clarify, when I say distant rest, I don't necessarily mean death, although many people are tragically uh, passing away. There are countless more who are still alive and living and breathing, but have metaphorically died from losing their past lives that they once knew. In much the same way that Owen uh, willingly went into World War I and was completely blindsided by the harsh realities of it, 
We also came into 2020 with absolutely no clue at all that any of this was going to happen. If you had have, you know, if you had gone up to Owen and asked him before the war whether or not he wanted to go to it, I'm almost certain that you would have heard an enthusiastic yes. After all, he did sign up for it voluntarily, right? Now, if we fast forward to these days, if you had have asked the average citizen in late, you know, late last year, late 2019, about coronavirus, they probably would have thought you stuttered and meant to say coronas are nice or something like that. Coronavirus has been around for quite a while now, and nobody really knows if or when it'll, you know, it's ever going to disappear. I'm sure you've all <laughs> probably sick of it, just like I am. The word unprecedented circulating through the daily news cycles, unprecedented times, unprecedented restrictions, unprecedented cases, everything's unprecedented nowadays. I guess what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, in a sense, while the coronavirus itself is novel and it is most certainly unprecedented uh, and never seen before and whatever else you want to call it, the existence of tragedies and the unexpected occurring in life is nothing new at all. Following the Second World War, C.S. Lewis, who was uh, a British uh, writer and theologian, witnessed much of the same attitude uh, in the minds and lives of those people around him. However, their coronavirus took a much larger and more visible shape in the form of an atom bomb. Throughout the course of time, from Pliny the Younger's Mount Vesuvius eruption, Owen's First World War, Lewis's atom bomb, and now our coronavirus, tragedies have plagued every single society. With all this doom and gloom, though, it can be really easy to give up and to feel like all hope is lost, that we're just trapped in you know, this endless cycle of tragedy and adversity that is life. There is hope and wisdom to be found, however, in Lewis's journalistic essay on living in an atomic age. In it, he writes, Do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. You and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music. Not huddled together like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. <laughs>